Tonight's guest is Robert Bonomo. Robert is a filmmaker, blogger, novelist, and esotericist. He has lived and worked in Madrid, San Francisco, Buenos Aires, Kamchatka, Miami, Valencia, Cartagena, New York, Luoyang, China, and a few other not-so-interesting places. He has three novels, Twilight Breakout, Cactus Land, and his latest release, Your Love Incomplete, all available as free downloads on Smashwords. Welcome to the show, Robert. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate Hello, it. Robert. It's nice to have you. And not to mention how how I how you are in my sight is your documentary, The Twenty One Faces of God. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I just released that in, uh, in August. So. Yes, so the, on the tarot, and it's sensational. Everyone should just for that alone check you out and check it out. It's it's. Um, I actually wanted more of it. I'm just gonna say that straight up. Wow. <laughs> it was not enough. So I, I like the way you put it together. The information is great. Um, it's it was it's very well done. Thanks so much. I really appreciate that. So with that, let's talk about your early life, shall we? Sure. Sure. I, I'd like to also mention you are you have you've moved, it seems like as much as I but into way farther, more extreme places. I admire a traveler. It's a, it's a certain mindset. Yeah, and I think as we go on a little in the background, I think it's almost genetic. It's just I can't stand still. I yeah, yeah, pause. I can completely <laughs> relate to that. I get this, the window whip, and I itch, and I'm like, all right, where am I going now? It gets boring uh, in one place. <laughs> I'm ready to move. It's like I've been here yeah, 20 it's, years. It's like it, things play out, you know? It's like, all right, I've, I've been immersed here. Right. So on that, tell us about the uh, stuff from your early life, just way back in the recesses that stick out. And, and this includes, of course, pop culture, you know, things that may have inspired you, um, fashion, uh, cartoons, and all that. And also, in specific, if you had a relationship with nature. Yeah, because I was born in Long Island, very close to the Brookhaven National Lab. And so it's, it seems, you know, if, if you're not familiar with Long Island, it's very rural, that area, it's right like near central the ocean. East, central eastern Long Island, like Suffolk right. County. Exactly, it's Suffolk County. Yeah. And um, it's an interesting place because there's lots of physicists there. So like in our block, say, say you had an electrician, but he was an electrician at a, at a lab where they were doing some wild stuff. I think they did like nuclear stuff and it was Ooh, an interesting they did, they did mind control. They did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. The Brookhaven national lab is pretty famous. There's a lot, right. there's been a lot of pretty important things done there. There were a lot of paperclip, not pre paperclip Nazis working at Brookhaven back um, after the war until the Pentagon found out they were working on mind control or Congress rather. And this is according to Al Bielik, if you ever heard his story that uh, they all transitioned over to Camp Hero, and that became the Montauk Project. 
Yeah, and I've heard that connection between Brookhaven. And, and I remember some of my first memories was playing chess with the kids of a physicist at the Brookhaven National Lab. <laughs> you were probably so, in the programs, didn't I? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I, yeah. that's a whole other that. subject, too. That's great. But this is just one weird thing that just popped out of my memory. I was in this room playing with these kids of this physicist, and I remember my father leaving the room very annoyed. You know, when you're a kid, you don't understand. Like, it's like the first time an adult is angry at another adult. And it was a, with a physicist. So it was kind of strange. I had no idea what it was about. I never learned what it what, But the, it, that, that was one of my first memories. Yes. <laughs> that is very intriguing. And I'm sure a lot of our, um, our core group, I'm thinking of Lee immediately, will um, find that intriguing. Yeah. It, I mean, it really could have been in the programs without knowing it. Of course, no oh, one knows it really. Yeah, I mean, and, and that was just a, it was a peculiar play. And I remember I did play a lot in the forest. We had a forest behind the house and there was a little house. There was an abandoned house back there and we used to go play around. This was very young, you know? so I do remember that. And my first memory, like key memory, was very strange, it was in a den. You remember back, I'm 50. So do you remember when they had paneling? You know, we had that horrible paneling. Everyone the had that paneling. Terrible seventies paneling was yes, so gross. Yes. yes. Oh my god. My basement was full of it. <laughs> yes, yes. My whole house was full of that stuff. And I remember I was in a den full of that paneling, and the old man was wrapping packaging. And that Frankenstein, do you remember the old Frankenstein, the one from the thirties? When Boris he Karloff. When he throws the girl into the lake. Yes. With the flower. That's my <laughs> yes. first memory. Oh my God. <laughs> so talk about pop culture. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's really, that's great that that's your first memory. And I actually, I really like how that um, plays into Brookhaven and playing chess over there too. <laughs> With the um, child so, of Nazi scientist. Right, totally. So when, so speaking of this, um, of that Frankenstein, what, did that scare you? Were you intrigued by it? Yeah, it's, it's, this is a, a kind of a bizarre story. My daughters watched that film when she was about seven and was terrified for years. And it's really strange that I, because I was working away from home and I came back and my wife said, oh, she saw one of the, some horror movie. And it, apparently it was that Frankenstein movie. So it affected me and it affected my daughter, which is kind of bizarre. Um, but uh, I'm sorry, what did you ask? It, yeah, if it had, um, well, how it affected you, if you actually found it scary. You know, it's strange. I don't, I don't remember it as a bad memory. I just remember the, the old man putting the packages like under one of those horrible 70s couches with the paneling <laughs> and watching <laughs> Frankenstein toss this little girl into the lake with the flower. So yeah. It's not a bad memory. It's just a memory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's iconic, too. Um, so... So, okay, so we've got you in Long Island. We've got you with a love of the woods and um, tied into programs. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and with imaginary friends. At that age, I remember I had imaginary friends. Well, could you I, tell I remember, us a little bit about them? All I remember was their names were Michael and Susan. And I, my sisters used to used to laugh about a story where somebody sat on a chair and I started crying. I don't remember this. And that apparently it was because I saw them on this chair and someone sat on the chair. How did they communicate with you? I wish I could remember. 
No, I don't remember. I and don't. Do you remember any of their like um, the physical well, attributes with them? Were they real or were they imaginary? I mean, like, did you have conversations with them, do you think? Or was it more? I, I think I did. But I, do, I can't say I remember. I can't say I remember. You, you know what I mean? I, when no, I, when I, I remember the names, I see some, like, vague images. But mm -hmm. I can't remember any sort of interaction. But I feel like they were close to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the imaginary friends really tie deeply into all this stuff for me because it, it's just part it's part it goes in part it's part and parcel with all this and we don't get a lot of that coming forward i don't directly ask that question but it's relevant so there's a lot of shame re related to it like i remember everyone was like you got to stop you know you yes you have to stop with that and it's almost like for a long time i was so ashamed of that like there was something wrong with it. but now you know who cares also, you know, I mean, you know, made what, a movie about the tarot, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what really? What uh, I don't understand why why it was originally shameful in the first place. You know, I don't. I, I never think, got that. I think parents, at least at that period, if you talked like that, they were like, "Shut up! It's not real." I think people because they might like, think you were you actually had meant some kind of mental illness, or maybe. I don't. And know. yet they're so common. They're so common. Oh, they must be. They, they really are. I had one. Her name was Julie. And um, I wasn't, I, I felt no shame with it. I thought she had a full name. It was my mother's maiden name. And um, so my mother just thought it was somehow, I don't know, related to maybe some trauma of her not being around. But this, this one had more of... Um, I think almost classic angelic look. She actually had wings. Oh, wow. Did your mom's yeah. parents have, like, lose a kid anytime? Mine? Yeah. Yeah, my mom did, yeah. There's, um, was it, it was my grand, her mother's twin. So that could have been Julie. Yes, but that twin's name was Fontel. So, and I think it was a boy. I have a picture of, I have a postmortem picture of it. Um, it's interestingly enough, I'm looking at it right now. Um, okay, so what? So also in pop culture stuff early on, um, that Frankenstein moment. Were there cartoons and stuff you liked? Oh yeah, and um, actually, I was listening to the talk you had with Mike Williams. It's that same era. So my family moved to Florida when I was, and that was kind of traumatic because the, the how old the were you when that happened? I think I was like six. You got to watch out for Florida man down there. <laughs> and for me, the smells were so different. Mm -hmm. The smells just shocked me. That smell of chlorine and bright green. It's not that mm -hmm. dark green, it's that bright green. And the humidity and those types mm -hmm. of things. I never felt like, uh, I always felt like I was in, in a foreign environment in Florida. I never physically could connect. Yeah, me too. I've, I've never been... Um... Yeah, and I, I have family in Georgia, so Florida is so right there. Uh, but I do like the panhandle side better. I will say that's you know going down to Panacea and all that is so great up there. Um, so, okay, so was that the first move from from yeah. Long Island? Okay, and and so that was a little bit traumatic. I think it was because there was always a sense of wanting to go back somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know, it's I always had that feeling of this is not this is where I should be. I should be back there. 
And I think that never left. And I think that happens to a lot of people who move to Florida. You always have this feeling like <laughs> sort of a fish out of water. Right? <laughs> Sorry, Floridians. We're like not Sorry. the Florida people. I, I, um, I wonder if it's common amongst kids who move young all the time, you know, because we, I, I was born in Long Island as well, and we moved mm -hmm. to Chicago, but we moved back and forth like 80 times. So it was, oh, okay. it was five times between New York and Chicago. Um, but yeah, I could totally get that. You're not, you never know where your home is. Like, yeah. And you miss that something, I think, where you're born and that connection and the smells. I think the smell for me was really important too. When I, yes. moved, when I moved to Atlanta from Chicago for at least three months, it felt like I was on vacation because of the different atmosphere here, the climate, everything. It was almost like I was on vacation. Maybe that's like, maybe that would contribute to the feeling of there's going to be going home sometime. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Could, could be. Did you have dreams and um, perhaps like nightmares around the time you moved? You know, I, ha I have to say that my, my, the remembered dreams don't begin till about 15. Okay. I, I can't really remember a dream before that. I had an explosion of dreams when I was about 15 or 16. But before that, I assume I dreamed, but I can't remember any of them. So at this time, um, so, so like in that six or seven age range, when you're in Florida, did you, um, did, okay, the first question I actually had was, were you in a military family at all? Were you moving around because of that or? No, no, but, okay. but it, important in my family history is that my parents were a bit older. Uh -huh. So my father fought, was in the Second World War, as well oh. as my two uncles. Okay. So I was raised with a different, a very kind of a different, um, you know, worldview. Yes. So, you know, I, you know, I would hear about stories of Europe and the Pacific and wars and all that kind of stuff as a kid. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that part of having a father and, and all, basically all my uncles, all of my uncles, actually. We're veterans of the second world. Yeah, that, and that's interesting information too, is it does pin you into, um, it gives you context to a major part of our history, whatever, whatever that history really is, it connects you to it um, in a firsthand way where this is your parents. Um, okay, so around this time, six or seven, you've moved to Florida from Long Island. Um, did you was the tramp besides the smells and not really being in love with some of that? How did you fare there? Were you comfortable eventually? Did you make friends easily? What? Oh nature? yeah. And and we lived in sort of like a, a suburban area, you know. Yeah. So there was a bunch of kids on the block, and we were just like a band of hooligans, you know. Oh, I nice. mean, I, you remember that time? Yeah, yeah. Where basically you came home and your mother said, did you do your homework? Of course, of course. And then you just Outside. ran out and <laughs> yes. had to be back for dinner. Yes. You know? That's our generation. That is. That was, that was it. I never did homework. I mean, homework? I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't happen. So I don't think so much anymore. You just be gone all day. Like after you, you know, homework was done. <laughs> I remember like on Sundays, we'd go to mass. Then we'd have breakfast, go someplace, have breakfast, and get home. And it was just like, get rid of those clothes. 
And I would play football <laughs> until the ball would hit us in the eye because you couldn't see it. And then you'd go home. That was it. You know, when you were just getting hella. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So were you, were you brought up Catholic? Very Catholic. I came from a very strict, you know, uh, old school Catholic family. I mean, going to mass on Sunday was just like, you know, eating dinner. You had to go. Yeah. Did you, uh, and so on that, what was your relationship with Catholicism? Did you enjoy it? Was it something you just couldn't wait till you didn't have to go? Um, uh, you know, how'd you feel about it back then? You, you have to remember though, I, I, I just, you know, in that generation, so I had older parents. My grandmother, who's a big influence on me, was born in 1898. Yeah. So on my mother's side, very Irish Catholic. So when you're Irish Catholic, like very Irish Catholic, mm -hmm. the Catholicism, your Irishness, it's all mixed together. So it's yes. like saying, I was raised Irish, but I didn't feel Irish. You know, it's like, <laughs> you're Catholic, that's who you are. And remember, I mean, there's saints. We had virgins and saints. And when yeah. I, I was a basketball player, and so I would always you know, ask for novenas, grams. I need a novena. I've got a big game tomorrow. I have a test. Did you study? Yes. You know, so my grandmother would say novena. So, I mean, that was all... Like when I hear chaos magicians, it's like they've discovered spirituality and like entities. I'm like, come on, guys. You know, this has been going on for a long time. You know what I mean? This is what I love. And this is why I always say this. Um, I mean, I grew up in an Irish household, but they, there was no religion. I don't remember it. But I hear that my, my Irish grandmother, Macaulay, was... Um, that it was Protestant, but I never saw her go to church. There was no pictures, nothing. It was dry, dry, dry. But when I encountered Catholicism later, I was I fell in love with it because of the rituals, the smells, the icon. It's so incredibly beautiful and overwhelming. Just in midnight mass and in in a proper cathedral with the the chorus and the choir oh and all that, God. unbelievable just unbelievable and um and so i experienced it without without having to you know without any of the hang-ups i guess and just got to experience it through like a sense of art and how it actually was visceral and so i've taken that into my whole life and insert you know through chaos magic and all that it's like that's always there we have this example oh yeah so when i hear chaos magicians for me that's like second nature of course, yes. entities there's thousands of my grandmother had virgins for this saints for that yes yes and the other thing was <laughs> in catholicism the interesting the wonderful thing about catholicism i think is the feminine aspect so the virgins were probably more important than anything yes and then you had jesus and the saints and all that stuff but when you yeah. were in trouble you know you always prayed to the virgin they're the ones that are going to help you you know the jesus guys yeah maybe but that became a little abstract. And the idea of God, I don't think, at least traditional Irish Catholics, they have no conception of God. I mean, yeah. like God the Father, who's that? You know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a too abstract. Religion was something that you used when you needed it. You know? I yeah. need this, do that. You ask, and sometimes you get, sometimes you don't, you know? <laughs> Well, right. I mean, in the end, we, you know, who knows? That, that is, that's also, I've got to tell you, that's what drew me in was all of 
this, the, the female energy there. And you'd mm. see some of these Mary statues in their row. I have one. It's a Polish one. And it's it's 1800s. It's behind glass. It's a shadow box. But her robe looks like a gigantic vagina. And it's it's just the way her robe is. And it's amazing. I love Our Lady of Sorrows. She's really the one oh, right, that right. speaks to me. Those images are incredible. Absolutely. And the Black Madonna. Oh, my God. Oh, right, right, right. I think she's yeah. in the live chat, by the way. Our Lady of Sorrows? Yeah. Oh, excellent. And I'm sorry, well, it's Lady I... of the Various Sorrows. Oh, excellent. Well, welcome. <laughs> I'm not in the chat. Okay, so, so all right, we've got this Catholicism thing. Did you, so I want to stick back here for a minute, but I, I also want to just take the religion thing and get it out of the way. So sure. did, are you still Catholic? Um, that's a good question. Well, so, I mean, just to make the long story short, in my 20s, I think like a lot of people, I became a total atheist and sort of rejected all the, the church stuff. Then I went east to all the Zen stuff. And then I came back, but I would consider myself, Miguel asked me this, I would say I consider myself sort of like a Gnostic, esoteric Christian. But behind me, I have, I have about four virgins behind me, so... And I have a big Christ, so I don't not. I, I don't know. I, I I wouldn't. But if you ask me, do I believe in the Apostles' Creed? Absolutely not. Yeah. Okay. And Apollo and Creed. Later on, we can. No, the Apostles', Apostles Creed. Apostles' Creed. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry. Going back to those uh, that Rocky stuff. <laughs> I love Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> I was just clarifying for the listener. <laughs> But I do have, we can talk about this later, but I do have sort of a personal myth that is connected to the Cathars. And of course, Give the it Cathars to us right now. Yeah, I mean, um, I didn't learn who the Cathars were until I was in my 40s. I was a history man. Never knew who they were. And the Cathars were um, uh, a Gnostic, dualistic breakoff from the Catholic Church in the 11th and 12th century. And in the, in the 13th century, they were exterminated in uh, the Albigensian Crusade. When I heard about this, I got really interested in them, very interested in them. And then I found something very interesting. My last name is Bonomo. And the Cathars began in Italy. And my father's family's from Italy, so I've spent a lot of time in Italy and whatnot. The Cathars called themselves Bonomi, good people. That's what they called themselves. And not only is my grandfather Bonomo, my grandmother was Bonomi, it's like the plural. So I felt this real weird connection. And where I live is very close to Mont Segur, the last place where, one of the last places where they were exterminated. And I actually went there. It's like a pilgrimage there. I feel very connected to the Cathars. So it, to answer your question about being Catholic, I probably feel more Cathar than Catholic, which is kind of strange. So. No, not at all. And that's that's great. And and that's, I mean, that's kind of how these things, have, I, th I think, people that are open there's like a, a natural evolution and and we never get away this is why nox mente gets into your roots we we never get away from our roots these this is our, right. our these are the dice we rolled with you know this is what sets up the symbols for the rest of the play um that's great i i and also in your journeys you know i love that you had that exposure to the eastern stuff i heavily vibe with it especially the hindi stuff um yeah, I find it all seamlessly kind of, there's a thread, Robert, isn't there, that kind of oh, holds absolutely. everything. Absolutely. 
absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. and it it just kind of when you look back, then it it does make a lot more sense. You're like, oh, that's why that happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it all does kind of fit. It, it does, and we and we see it in tools such as the tarot, which you know you you presented us with a documentary on, and um, it it's all kind of it's all woven woven into the symbols in um, in anyone searching for self in the world, and tarot is certainly an oracle of searching. Um, Absolutely. Okay, so back back there in the in these early days. So from how long did you stay in Florida? Oh, I stayed in Florida basically yet till I uh, graduated from college. Okay, and so let's move up to that time when you're around fifteen, and oh, right. the dreams started dropping in on you. Yeah, this was a, a just a, a really crucial point in my life. I started having just tons of dreams. Some were recurring, and then I had literally what the Jungians call that big dream. When you have a dream that you understand that's it's not personal, there's something transpersonal about it, or the meaning is more collective. And it was just mind-boggling, apocalyptic dream. And when I had that dream, I think that kind of changed everything, because then I realized I have to write this at some point. And that dream and that whole series of dreams became that my novel, Cactus Land. That's the name of my website is Cactus Land. Um, but that, that period of just intense dreaming was, changed my, my entire life. Is there, okay, so can you give us, um, can you tell us a little bit about the big dream from that period? Yeah, I, I it, so I was in a basement with my mother, and my, it's very interesting. My mother had a very close friend who was a married old nun and very into liberation theology. She was communist and all this kind of stuff. So it was really interesting for me to have this. So we're together in a basement waiting for the apocalypse, and that woman, the married <laughs> that, old that's nun. That's still current. <laughs> she leaves. She says, I have to leave. And this was really interesting. Then we get a phone call from her. Do you guys remember the film Failsafe? Uh, Based on the about, book, the 60s book? Yeah. There was a film with, uh, where basically there's a, I it's like a nuclear movie. war type film. Yeah, it's black and white. It's an old movie. Right. Yep. So, in, so then this woman calls me and she says, you need to go to this stadium when the bombing stops. And then the phone melts, just like in Failsafe, when he's talking to the woman and the phone melts when the bomb goes off in New York. So I get off, I go to the stadium, there's all these people, everything's bombed out, and I look up to the sky and I see a cloud becomes a throne and there's like a Caesar figure on this throne with a book in his hand. And he doesn't say it, but he communicates it. The book, he kind of throws the book and it begins to spin. And he says, we don't need this anymore. And then he dissolves. And there's a stadium of people looking up. And that's it. That's the end of the dream. That's the end of my novel. So if you, if you know that's what's coming if you read Cactus Land. <laughs> but that that's dream. That's incredible it, imagery. Yeah. It, and you, I, I think I had some sort of sense that maybe there's something personal here, but there's a lot that's not. That, that has yes. something, means something else. 
Yeah. And okay, so did this in this period, so around the age of fifteen, um, when this dream drops on you, was this so when the dream started dropping, did it did did they start with this dream or was this in the mix of this general period? Good question. I for some reason that obviously that one really st stood out, but it, I think it was maybe in a period because I also had many, many, many dreams at this time of looking up in the sky and seeing battles between small like lights, like like firefights or you know planes battling in the sky, but very small, constantly. I kept seeing this vision of fighting, like, but not not planes that you could see much higher. No, like at very high altitude. Imagine planes having a dogfight at very high altitude. Constantly recurring dream of that. And that's also a lot in the novel. It plays a real role in the part of the novel. And okay, so in that imagery that's happening at this time, did those planes, were you registering them as stuff you know, like from, you know, that we know instead of unidentified stuff? No. Yeah, it was, I, I didn't, I, so I didn't think, oh, this is this, or this is that. Okay, yeah. That dream, that was unique to those dreams, and it was really scary. Did, yeah, they, I'm sure. Um, so when you say they were scary, though, how did you interpret that as someone at that age? So were they, did they fall into, like, the nightmare range, or were they just, because there, there's the lesser kind of nightmares yeah. that are not, you know. That would be at the lesser kind. Yeah, I oh, I get you totally. And that's the way it kind of came up when you're talking about it. That's interesting. And it's interesting that there were so many. Um, what other dream images stand out from this kind of initiation into that realm? And then another recurring dream of being in a plane crash. I had that so many times. Being Join, in a plane and it's crashing. Oh, my God. Do you ever have the ones where they're low flying? Like you're going... For hours yes. at 10 feet above the ground going to crash yes but yeah yeah i don't know what that and is. have you ever had where you fall out the back yep i've had that so many times where it's low so low and you're like oh my god and then i fall out the back and i'm on the ground and i watch it crash i've had that many did you were so in these okay so in the dreams where you're you're in the plane flying was there a degree of lucidity there or was it did it feel more you were in control yeah, I have to say, I've never had a lucid dream. Okay. I've never, woke, I've never woken up, and it's something I've always wanted to do, but it's never, I've tried, too. I put that thing around the house where you kind of look at your hands, am I yes. awake? Yeah, yeah. I've, never, <laughs> I've never been able to wake up in a dream. But well, the dream life for me is so, like, at my age, it's like, I, it's my other world. So I dream every night. Oh, and excellent. I, well, Robert, you're having a lucid dream right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so back to the planes. Um, you know, a lot of times these planes, so when we get out of late Victorian and, you know, uh, earlier, early 1900s, maybe even up to the mid-century, when planes were considered in all the symbolic books about organizations you're involved with. Some of the newer thought, and this has always vibe with me, is when you're in vehicles flying, this is actually a, almost like a prelude to 
um, to flying dreams where you you don't need assistance, you don't need the training wheels. So, which also starts to come hand in hand with uh, lucidity, which is always just right there. So I find when I hear that, this is where I'm coming from. And so the fact that you've had so many at that point was interesting. So from 15 on and all these, I like all the plane imagery. And um, did it? Did you have any lulls from 15 on till now? You just told us you dream every night. Have there been? Yeah, I, I used to drink a lot. And I think during the drinking period, I didn't dream that much. Yeah, I hear that a lot. When you when you drink a lot, you kind of lose. I I I, I kind of lost the dream world, and I think that's part of the problem with you know drinking too much, mm-hmm. is that you lose the dream world. Like mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever listen to Joe Rogan's podcast, but they have that thing where he goes sober in October. And it was so funny to hear Rogan be like, "Wow, I can't believe I'm dreaming so much." I'm like, yeah, maybe <laughs> if you're bombed and stoned every night. You know, you don't. You know, so that's a good way to prepare for no nut november <laughs> <laughs> boom boom this is our early show people <laughs> we, we're we're awake um yeah that is i've never been a i mean i've 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 never been a heavy drinker, so I haven't experienced the no dreams from it. I mean, certainly I've enjoyed alcohol and had a very good time. It's probably more the the pot with Rogan. Yeah, with Rogan, it probably is more the dope. It's funny, though, that doesn't affect my dreams. But I hear every, it seems like everyone says that. Maybe I'm not doing enough. I don't know. Um, Okay, so that's good to know. All right, so I want to I want to kind of dive into the dream architecture now. So in general, this is just overarching. How do you experience the dream world? Are there places you recognize? What's the architecture life? Is it tactile? Is it black and white? Is it color? All that good stuff. I would say there's a little bit of color. There are no I would say there's no real I mean, apart from the recurring dreams, there's no real um, continuous kind of, there are no places I go back to. Sometimes, I think everyone has, you know, homes when we were kids that we go back to. So I'm in a a house that I lived in, but actually just in the dream world, it's a little bit dark. Um, It's color, but not bright color. And um, occasionally, occasionally I will get absolutely aesthetically perfect dream i mean every couple of years a dream that's like a painting that's absolutely perfect from an aesthetic point of view that's happened to me a couple of times so i wasn't lucid in the sense where i was awake but you see i just i just want to say one thing when you have at least some of the, the dreams i've had that were aesthetically perfect i i, I wasn't it seems so real that but yeah, I wasn't conscious of being, I don't think I was conscious of being in a dream, but it, it just seemed so perfect. It was almost like another world. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, I mean, I think one of the, um, one of the cornerstones for being lucid is, is that moment where you're, you're, you're going about, going about it, just like going about your day here, you know, in waking life. And you realize Oh, I'm dreaming. And it's usually, of course, it's just that sense right there. And a lot of times what I'm gathering, the more people I I speak with now is 
that also can trigger them out of their experience they were having and they're I'm hearing this more often people prefer not to be lucid yeah not to be lucid because then it changes the actual dynamic of the experience they were having they were enjoying so you know I I don't know it's yeah. it, it's everyone's a little different but really there's so many similarities like um, one dream I did have from that period that was absolutely beautiful I was in a small church it was like a Protestant church in the north. And I'm sitting mm-hmm. in the church, and there was no crucifix. I remember it felt like a Protestant church. And I fell asleep, and I woke up in the ocean, and it was big waves. And I saw some sort of a religious symbol. And then the wave brought me to the shore, and I, I laid down, and I fell asleep. And then I woke up in that church, and then I woke up. And in a dream like that, I mean, that was so beautiful. I, I, I don't think I would want to have been lucid because I would have messed it up. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's what, uh, that's what a lot of people say. That's amazing. I love that. Do you, okay, so while we're here, let's talk about water, water in your mm-hmm. dreams. Do, Lots of water. Give me, give me some images. Give me some Wait, stuff to work with. What's your sign, baby? Oh, uh, mine? Yeah. Oh, I'm Gemini. I'm, Gemini. Oh, I got a lot of air. I do, right. But my Mercury, I'm a triple Gemini. Mm. Oh my goodness! So I've got the Sun, Ascendant, and Moon. But my my Mercury's in in Cancer. Oh wow! Mercury rules my chart. Was, I was mm. sensing some Cancer. That's interesting. The yeah, Gemini, Mercury. though, triple Gemini. <laughs> Robert Phoenix always says I'm a serial killer. He's like triple Gemini. <laughs> yeah. If you were if you were a woman, I would run away. Oh my goodness. I have Gemini rising, so I'm relating to you on that alone. Well, no wonder you're a writer though. I mean yeah. that's that's under my no choice. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, back to the water stuff. Give us I want I want um I really yeah, just I'll I'll move through it, but give us um give us some water imagery from your dreams. And the so, darker stuff is my favorite, by the way. Yeah. Um but the, yeah, I'm not, it's not so, it's not, I can't say it's so dark, but so as a kid in Florida, we fished a lot. So the idea of kind of sitting there looking at the water and fishing kind of got in my head. And one of the first memories I have, not first memories, but the first traumatic, traumatic memories, I went down, I was by a canal and it was at night and I looked down and I saw like some kind of a monster and I ran like hell. And I think later I realized it must have been a manatee. That's the darker <laughs> I, stuff I'm talking about. Did it look like a manatee? I was so terrified. So I might have been 10 or something. I don't know. Imagine I just walked down. It was like a dock. Mm-hmm. And I was going to, I like to fish at night. That feeling of just kind of tossing yeah. the in the net. Yes. There's nobody <laughs> there. That silence. I love that. Alone, especially the fish alone at night. And I when I fishing. looked down <laughs> and saw that beast, I remember I ran, and I never told anyone I was terrified. But then later in life, I, I realized it probably was a manatee. Probably. Well, and I mean, you know, they've often said that, you know, these reports of people seeing mermaids were actually manatees and all that, too. Um, well, that's interesting, though, but it, it scared you. Right, that scared me. So later on in life, I've had many, many dreams. And but it's, it's generally positive with water. I'll be, I'll see a water and then fish just start emerging hundreds of them and all sorts of aquatic creatures. 
And those are always precursors to very rich periods of my life creatively. Oh, wow. I had one when I moved back. I'm sorry, but I, I moved back to the States after I've been living abroad for a long, a long time. And I was trying to get a job in, I was working in online media and I got a job, I landed a job in San Francisco, right? Silicon Valley. I was really happy. I had this dream of hundreds of like, it was like Venice and all of these animals just jumping out of the water. And I was like, this is going to be a rich period. And it was, you know, I mean, I, 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 my career and everything developed in the online side. It, it, that makes sense with the astrology too, with your Mercury and Cancer. Right. Very, very intriguing. That when when these when you have these dreams where um, lots of the aquatics is coming forward, is there anything ever fantastical that's not that we don't experience here? Yeah some some of the some of the creatures are just bizarre. You know, they're like kinds of fish that you never see and any are any of them ever humanoid no i don't think so they are they all seem like animal okay yeah cool that's why i'm always trying to figure out what's going on down under right, right. <laughs> you know there's so much there there's it's, so it's, much there where you get to space Absolutely. Mm. Well, and and that is this is a good segue. I, there's um a couple couple just let's do play a little word association game here for a second. So first thing that comes to your mind, oh, all right? <laughs> this is I'm doing this once in a while with some people, and since you have so much to bring, I want to get a little bit. So all right, space, deep space. The first word that comes to mind. Yeah. It was time. Right. Uh, oh, Kronos, yeah. Deep water. Deep water. Mm-hmm. I just saw some kind of a weird image came out, like some sort of a creature. Okay, creatures, that's good. Cthulhu. Uh, inner Earth. Mother? Mm. That's, these are kind of all answers I would do. <laughs> are you me? Um, Maybe because I, I study a lot of the mythology. Those are the first things that pop out too. Yeah, know? I mean they're they're classic. It's great that these are like your your first things. Okay, and now um, like ETs. I kind of get a link on ET. Okay, that's fine. What about um, the occult? Hmm, I would say Aleister Crowley. Aleister mm, Crowley. And then music. Bach. Mm, nice. And so we're going to use music as a segue here. Do you experience music in your dreams? Very rarely. I can't, I'm trying to remember a dream where I, had, where I heard, I, I guess a few times, but very, pretty rarely, pretty rarely. Yeah, it's something I'm looking into exploring a little bit more. It's an odd thing, right? I, I personally, I don't know that I can pinpoint much. I'm sure maybe it's there, but it's one of those things that all of a sudden popped up in my head. Um, okay, so back to, so this was the 15, we had the lull, you're 15, mm-hmm. and then what brought you back into heavy dreaming again after you were drinking? I guess that was your heavier drinking period. 
Yeah, then then it kind of it kind of it's it's sort of left, you no. Know? And I became when I was writing which novel was I writing? Oh, I was writing Cactus Land, which was the novel that that was based on those early dreams. Mm-hmm. And there, I was very into meditation. I was meditating a lot. I was studying Zen a lot. I was pretty. I was pretty focused and pretty intense. I began to dream about work so I could write. I, I had a really weird schedule. I would write maybe all night to like six in the morning and then I would sleep. And a lot of times it, it, the, the work would go on in my head while I slept. And so I would wake up and it was a bizarre feeling because you know you've been asleep, but you've been working all night mm-hmm. on things in the novel for example, I remember once I would actually see like shapes, like a triangle, a circle, but in, in, it related to the narrative structure. So it, it, it was really very, very clear sleep. And that was different. That was different. That was something strange you know, to get that sort of clearness in those dreams. Jerry, you look like you got a question. No, it's okay. It's good. You, you held that. I've, I've, like, heard, I've heard that from other people in other ways. That same thing that you're doing things in the background while you sleep. That's a common, yeah. semi-common thing. And, and have you heard the new research on this new dream research where they talk about, for example, pianists? So if an, a pianist is practicing a piece, mm-hmm. when they sleep, they're actually practicing it in their head. Yes. And when they wake up, it's better. So now they know you know, scientific research that as we sleep, we do improve yes. on skills. But That's it, how I learned to temple dance, literally through dream dreaming. It, it could also be a, um, an efficient thing to do, to find the best way, the most harmonious way to store that muscle memory or that information. Right. Would be the perfect way, and you have it in your head, you just can't reproduce it because you can't play it yet. Whatever. It just might be more efficient to store that way than the way you have it. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and with, especially with very difficult, even, even, for example, fighters, good boxers, you'll hear them talk about they'll, they'll play the fight over in their head before the fight over and over and over again. And that actually helps them. I think in football coaches situations, you know? don't coaches play the other team's stuff over and over. It's the same thing. It's... You yeah. learn their moves. I have one more comment on your background network, your background job system. Uh, that's exactly a pattern that Philip K. Dick used. Or he did. He'd be up for days writing and then crash and have crazy dreams. It's amazing. And if you can push yourself to work, like, you know, work 36 hours on something, when you dream, oof, <laughs> it's it's so intense and the work just continues, you know? Yeah. It's so is in, and this, so this is a common experience for you to pull, to have this um, symbiotic relationship with your dream life as you're working on projects or was it anomalous to that project? No, you know, and on this film, it, I mean, sometimes the cycle, would, it was just beautiful, no? Because it was just an enormous amount of work till absolute exha- exhaustion. Mm-hmm. And then sleep, and you could feel it all kind of 
functioning. Then you wake up and you just dive back in. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's you know, I mean, any day that 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 one is open to this actual line between states of consciousness um, is is to me moving forward into lucidity in in both places, waking life and in the dreaming. You know, I think that that's part for me. And and I guess that leads into this question, um, which is kind of forward a bit usually, but I want to get to it because we're talking about it now. But what do you think the role of dreams actually is? Because we we hear how it's serving you in your life. Right. Uh, For me, it's absolutely clear it's a conduit to that other world. So we could say... Uh, it's in this in our waking consciousness the ego functions for us most of the time if we consider the 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 other world as large as the physical world Jung used to talk about that that imagine the physical expanse of the universe the physical the, the expanse of the self is as big and the dream world is one of those conduits. And I th- in my life, it's absolutely the best. It's the most, it's the richest time of, of, of my life. Absolutely, without a doubt. It's richer yeah. than this life. I, I prefer that experience than this. And yeah. most of my dreams are unpleasant. I would say more than 50% are unpleasant. So I'm not one of these people who has pleasant dreams either. Well, that says a lot about, I mean, there's a lot, I mean, you know, we could analyze the hell out of that, but I mean, on the surface though, that in, as you know, in life, we need, especially now that I don't know, it's different um, and been exposed to these different religious ideas. You got the tarot going, the hardships are what give us, that's where the gold's coming from. This is where we actually grow. And so for that in the dream world, um, we're working on it in a different level. I think it's absolutely the best. You're looking at it in the best way. You're embracing it. So when you're having these difficult dreams, what can you give us an example of some of the um, some of those? Yeah, I, I can give you <clears throat> I can give you one, for example, that I put into the novel. So this is in Cactus Land. I was walking, I was walking through, there's a city and there's sort of insurgents or terrorists or something, you know, like an insurgent army. And I'm walking through the back streets trying to avoid the fighting. And as I'm walking, I feel there's a man next to me. And I look over and he's taller than I am, dressed in black with a big scar on his shoulder, on his, on his cheek. And I remember thinking, you know, this guy, this is pretty serious. And, and they just, I just remember just running. And then later on in this dream, I, I run into a basement and I get into the basement and it was a perfect cube. And I'm in there and I feel fear and I see a black sphere in the center of just a pier. And I knew it was pure evil. So I knew I was in a room with pure evil, but pure evil. It was fascinating. It was terrifying. Wait, Absolutely that's terrifying. interesting. Which of the two objects was the evil one? 
the the guy the guy walking with me that I just he was walking by my side and and when I took off that was somebody who I was afraid of but when I got into the basement that sphere that was pure evil that's that's fucking interesting because the sphere is in a lot of mystery school teachings the sphere is divine it represents divinity well especially in freemasonry right you've got the the circle the square represents the earth 2d and the, right. the circle and the sphere is 3d it's divine yada yada um yeah that's cool but to have a, a dark one dark entity that's divine yeah and black and yeah. just pure evil just radiating evil but the, it's a little bit scary and there was a black cube there too it was inside a cube, so it was inside a basement. That's amazing. <laughs> what did the uh, sphere it, look like? It's a trap. It was just like mm-hmm. a, it just like a, it wasn't like a, a perfect, like a sphere. It was, it was kind of radiating blackness. It was like a ball of light, kind of. I mentioned a black light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it wasn't like a perfect globe. Right. Oh man. What but I just your... want to tell you one, just one connection to this. I, I was, I lived in Spain once and um, yeah, I probably shouldn't say this, but anyway, we went out, we all did acid, but like crazy acid. And it was the night it was uh, Holy Thursday. So in, in the Catholic religion, good Friday is the day that Jesus dies. That was crucified. So they dropped me off on a beach and on this Good Friday, and there I am, whacked out of my mind on acid, and I'm walking on the beach, and I hear these drums, boom, bada boom, bada boom, and it was a procession. So I get in the procession. Here I'm on acid, and I'm in this procession, and these guys banging these drums. And then, very interesting, similar to this dream, two guys come up next to me, start walking with me. Holy shit. And then I realized what happened was in this procession, guys would carry the crucifix for maybe a hundred yards. And before you carried it, they walked beside you and then they stopped. So the drum goes, boom, bada boom. And then these guys put the belt on me. There I am on acid out of my mind. I've been in a discotheque till like six 30 and they put the crucifix on me and there I'm carrying a crucifix through the beach. And I was like, oh, my God. And it, it kind of reminded me of that dream with that guy standing next to me. That's phenomenal. I love that. That so, But this, this is exactly a perfect psychedelic experience. So you went from one extreme in the discotheque partying mode, right, into a high religious experience. Yes. That's, that's phenomenal. And in, your, um, in the come down of acid, which is always the best part when you're piecing it all together. I, yeah. For me, it has been, uh, it's been so long, but I remember loving that aftermath. Um, yeah. What did you make of that? I remember I went back and I was sitting in a bar. So now it's about 10 in the morning. I'm drinking beer. And I was just, I, could, I just couldn't believe it. I actually put that in another novel of mine. But um, yeah, I just remember it was just like, how did this happen from this temple of just, craziness one of these discos spain has a wild nightlife yes well europe loves a discotheque anyway (laughs) yeah and that beat of like boom 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 with that whatever music was they used to call bacalao to be to hear that other drum and it was i was just completely flipped out i was you know it was just like whoa 
<laughs> it was pretty interesting. No. Did you yeah. did you gleam anything though from the um the other end of it when you're on the beach with the crucifix and then that high you know that high especially in Spain high religious experience did anything come through in Oh my God yes because I mean that moment and the fascinating thing was I didn't know so I was just walking in the music I was hypnotized by the music and when those two guys pull up. So for me, the fact that, the fact that, you know, you don't live life, life happens to you. And all of a sudden they put that belt on, like it's time to, you've got to carry this crucifix. You know? And remember, so I followed the, I followed it all the way to the end where they stop and a priest comes and they talk about the, um, the dead in the sea. You know how at the end of the universe, oh, wow. God will take yeah. the thing. So it, it, for me, it was just, it was, it was a massive liturgy. You know? It was like a, a real, it was almost like it was set up for me. Because I was on acid, of course, you think everything's for you. Right, right. right. The world is <laughs> here. <laughs> so yeah, that experience was incredibly powerful for me. And of course, you know, having, obviously I'm a Catholic, or I was a Catholic, whatever. Yeah, it was just like, wow. How old were you at this time? I was pretty old. I must have been, hold on. What year was that? Oh, geez. Maybe I was like 26, 27, something like that. Oh, possibly around Saturn return. Hold on. Did I, was that? Oh, yeah, it was a little bit before. It would be a little bit before, yeah. So it was, yeah, 26, 27, maybe. Yeah, we're you're approaching it. The shadow of it, as they say. So, okay, with also with this dream and this thread, um, I wanted to get your definition of pure evil. Yeah, I've thought about this a lot. Um, I don't believe in evil as an entity. So I look at it, I look at it as, especially from the esoteric point of view. You know? So most esoteric teaching will, will, you'll have the light and the earth, for example, earth, pure materialism and pure spiritual. Spirituality. I would define evil as pure materialism, but I I don't look at it in a I don't look at it in a moral as morally in a moral sense. Okay. Or an ethical sense. But yeah. when we talk about evil, it's pure materialism. Yeah. And that you know, I mean, that does seem to be the common. Although it does get it, it's muddled with you start getting the emotional stuff going with it. Um. And I okay. think that's a mistake. I personally think that's a mistake. Oh, I totally agree. I Absolutely. think that you have to just look at evil. First, there's the shadow side of it, right? Mm -hmm. There's our shadow material side that we project as evil. But I, I don't see, and I've been around, I've been around evil people. I mean, evil, you know, people who, who've done bad things, let's just say. And I, I honestly, I, I, not something that, I mean, I, I don't want to spend all day with them, but you know what I mean? I, I don't feel that, that, that total rejection, you're evil. No, okay. You know, people who are just focused on material gain, and that's all they do. That's all there is. Yeah, oh, absolutely. There's, it usually takes a crisis of conscious, consciousness to, um, to kind of show another side I've noticed in my studies. Um, Okay, and so I also want to touch on while we're here, 
psychedelics at all had had you done them and had like um in in your in any exploration of doing anything like that did anything evoke a sense of altered states of consciousness in that you could bilocate or that this robert in your flesh in this particular life is transitory on a deeper level yeah i mean my life has been marked by psychedelics the two most important experiences in my life were when i was 16 i had a mushroom experience oh could you tell us about that i love the sacred mushroom oh yeah it's actually a really funny story my a a really good friend of mine and i we had made a pact when we were like 15 we're gonna do every drug possible so we meet these guys and we're like we want mushrooms so they bring us these mushrooms we make some tea out of it and I never forget, we're throwing the football around. And I'm like, this is bullshit. This is like not even like a joint. <laughs> so we, get, we go back to these guys. And we're like, you guys are full of shit. So they come back with, when, remember those paper grocery bags? And I never forget. They said, eat all of these. No tea. Just eat them all and, see, and you'll see. We're like, they're like, no charge. You know, you paid us once. So we ate all these things at 7 in the morning. God knows how much it was. Fresh. We just ate them in peanut butter daily sandwiches. So about two hours later, I had the ultimate spiritual experience on mushrooms. Like the veil got pulled back. It was the most, this, no, the second most beautiful experience I ever had. So I loved everybody. And the fact, there's one, there's one thing that I found in the two powerful experiences I had. And this, this was so interesting. Everybody was waiting for me. So they had this thing like, where have you been? We've been waiting for you. Welcome to the party. I'm like, are you serious? They're like, yeah. <laughs> Everyone had that. So it, yeah. it was so interesting. It wasn't like I found something. Like they were already there waiting for me. And the other part of it was everybody was doing exactly what they should be doing. Everybody. And everything was exactly the way it was supposed to be. Those, from that, that mushroom experience, that was, I mean, I've had many mushroom experiences, but that one, like how old were you when that one happened i was like 16 or 17. oh yeah you said six and i remember i was in algebra class i never forget this there was a girl next to me i was madly in love with this girl she's madly in love with her and and i was just like playing with her ring and the teacher's looking at me like what the hell are you doing playing with this girl's ring and he was an algebra teacher and i was like god you're such a genius all those equations going down the x equals two was so beautiful just all made sense it was a beautiful experience. Very powerful. That that welcoming un- sensation is also common in DMT experiences. Like, yeah, I uh, wanted to tell you about another D, the the one I had after that with the DMT because the, it was much more powerful in the DMT. Lay it on us. So this is when I'm 16, right? When I'm in my 40s, I find Terrence McKenna, and I had already studied Zen for God knows how many years before I found McKenna. You know, the tapes of McKenna, the recordings. I'm like, shit, all this stuff in Zen, I had it when I was 16. Oh, he's right. (laughs) Like all that time, you know, sitting there in pain, and I am not a flexible guy. So when I meditate, oh, my God, it's like the knees are ready to just burst. And so, so McKenna was always talking about DMT. And in the middle of making this film, I found a place where they had these DMT, the ayahuasca DMT retreat. So you go, you do the ayahuasca the first day. 
And the second day, they give you 5-MeO. So I had a horrendous ayahuasca experience. It's like gut-wrenching, horrible. I just wanted to die. And then the next day, I had the 5-MeO DMT. And just like you said, I now the one thing about the DMT experience that I had, it lasted 40 minutes. Wow. Very long. <laughs> and they thought I was dead. Some people thought I was dead. They were ready to call an ambulance because I, I, I took a massive hit and then a second hit. And I, I think then they plugged my nose and I just passed out. And when I woke up, just like you said, Gary, all the people who had been there were there, but they're like, you made it. I was like, and I screamed so loud. Are we allowed to cuss on the show? Or no, better not. You can? Go for it. Say whatever the fuck yeah, you want. Yeah, so I screamed at the top of my lungs, you are fucking kidding. Like, I have a strong voice, too, if I scream. Apparently, people could hear this for, like, a long way. And I was like, this is it? And I just couldn't stop laughing. And I had made it to the other side. So I thought I had made it. I thought I was done. I was really thought. I was like, I made it. It's over. The joke, the whole cosmic joke, huh? I made it. And then I had to come back. And I really, really, maybe that's why it was so long. I really, really, really did not want to come back. It did not want. I, it, it strikes me as a possibility that that's the afterlife. Or maybe that, you know, those things come into people. That's one actual, you know, one explanation for it. Oh, totally. Because when you read the near, the, uh, what do they call them? The NDEs? NDEs, yeah. They're just like that experience I had. It's like, you made it. <laughs> Thank God. And then I fell. So I fell through all of these colors and schemes. And the one thing that they taught me that I really focus on in the end of the film is there is no singularity. I would try and grab. And they'd say, no, 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 no. Fall. And then the awareness just is like and you i think what happens you know why we can't talk to the dead this is just my opinion after that experience because once you start going it's it's just like i don't want to be crude but it's almost like an orgasm that never ends and you just you just become aware and aware and aware and aware why would you ever want to fucking come back here at some point, that would get boring because you'd, you'd be aware of everything and there'd be nothing to do. But that was what they taught me. I kept trying to, to like go, okay. And they're like, let go. And then it just becomes more and more and more and more. They might have wanted you to experience that. No, maybe. Maybe. Could be. And the other question that comes to mind is what do you think? Okay. The machine elves, whatever you want to call them. What were yours like, jesters? Were they grays? What did you see? What were their... No, this was what was so weird. The, the five people there, mm -hmm. it was them. Them who? Oh, the people who you so, were with at the cottage or the yeah. place, yeah. It was so weird. The shaman's there. It's the same guy. And what he was actually saying to me is, like, snap out of it. Like, you're okay. Because I was on the ground for a long time unconscious. And he's like, stand up. But what I was hearing was, you made it. Welcome. So they became, the people there became the welcoming 
party. That's an interesting overlay. I've never heard yeah, that. It was so, that. That was what was so weird. And the next day when I woke up, I kept, I kept telling them, you know, you, <laughs> you were, were my mother. You were the Very you were, Wizard of Oz. You were, and you were this. And they're looking at me like, Jesus, man. I mean, and these are people who do DMT all the time. They're like. Yeah, right. It's were, uncommon, but very interesting. Yeah. I find it extremely interesting. I love how that that same idea was presented to us in Journeys Through Oz. Um, also, so yeah. it's I it's, want to do DMT so bad, but I'm scared to death to do it. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. I, I watched people do DMT afraid, mm -hmm. and it's not good. Yeah, I know. Because you see them going, it was amazing because I was like, why are you afraid? And you see people. I don't want, you got to be ready. You got to be ready to die. You got to want it that badly. Mm. It's almost like when Jesus talks about it. I think it's the same, it's the same with all hallucinogens. If you're going in a bad experience, in a bad state, you're going to have a bad experience. Right. Set and setting. Uh, absolutely. Mm. But with DMT, you've got to be, because there's a guy who's just written a book recently on um, hallucinogenic. He was on, I was listening to him on Rogan. Stamets, and he said Paul the one, Stamets, Paul. Uh, no, Stamets is the mushroom guy. This, yeah, is a, yeah. this is a guy who's a bit more square. Okay. And, and he said the 5-MEO, because the 5-MEO is considered the more spiritual of the two. The regular DMT is more the elves, and the 5-MEO is more mm. a more God one. And he had a bad trip on the 5-MEO. So, look, you just, just, you just got to say do you want to know God? Do you really want to know God? If you do, no, just, just do it, man. Because it's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> you have no fear of death at all. Fear of death is gone. You're almost longing for it. <laughs> That's why now the dream world is so wonderful. It's like I get a little taste. Well, isn't this a big lesson? And I mean, for me, it has been in my life of letting go is always the bit, one of the cross keys. The letting go is like a silver key for me. And, um, and it's no different in any other state of consciousness that, you know, it, it holds through for me in all of them. And when I am resistant to it is when I get the bad experiences, even in waking life. You have to let go of everything mm -hmm. and everyone. It's the only way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. In all of this, so so let's pull back into, like, say, your waking life. How much do you use? And you already talked about this a little bit with the um, sport analogy and all this. But active imagination is this a part of your daily experience, or is it more when you're um, arting, like writing? Right. Yeah. So I I try and meditate as much as I can a couple times a week sometimes every day. Um, but active imagination, I did have a period where I can't remember the name of the book I used to use, but to try and do the Jungian type of active imagination. Yeah. And um, I used to do that a lot. So you go, you go, you make a left turn, you go through the cave and then you meet the animal. Well, however you, you can pack it in a million different ways, but it's, right. you know, it's, you're hypnotizing yourself in a weird way. Exactly. I, I, there was a period when I did that and I, I, you know what? I had so many, you, uh, the ego, you know, it's so hard to know with, with the ego. So you, I, I, I'm not sure I'm very good at it, but I tried. 
But I did have one bizarre experience doing that. I was digging. There's one exercise where you dig and you dig and you dig and you dig. Yes. And I dug up a big eye. And it was <laughs> sitting there. And if you, if in the end of my film, the last section in the world, I do this thing where you see sort of the first images of the world, and then there's a black eye that comes out. So I put that eye in the film. When the eye comes out, that black eye. But I never forget, and there's a massive black eye sitting there, and I'm dumping water on the eye. It's looking at me. So, and to a lesser degree, though, I think of, um, without being formalized with active imagination, I have come to, and, and I, yeah, I don't do any of those kinds of, um, unless I'm with a group of people and that's what's happening, like it'll, you know, it, it can happen. But what I consider active imagination now, as I um, have gone through life, is deep deep contemplation onto my external environment. So it's pushing forth my um, internal stuff and directly overlaying it onto the world around me. And, and so in doing that, I'm also, it's an act of will, right? Mm -hmm. so I'm intentionally, consciously doing this. And I'm overlaying, say, a dream onto a sidewalk. There, you know, there's talk about this all over. And, but say, like, in a magical sense, I want to manifest something. I want to get, you know, I want something. And so mm -hmm. I start imagining mm -hmm. actively involved with intent that thing happening, like sympathetic magic. And, um, and so I have found doing that, I've unlocked codes that have assisted in, yes, attaining that, but also there's some sort of like something happening with the synapsis process um, that seems to generate more of a sense of lucidity in the now. And some people might just call this daydreaming. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's a little more, it's a little more, uh, pardon this, a little more active. More, exactly. So it's a little more active to be, not to be redundant. Um, do you, do you do that kind of stuff? Like active daydreaming or pushing your will into? Constantly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's, it, I do that all the time. And I think you'll, you've probably found the more you do it, then you get these very potent synchronicities begin to just yes. come out. But yes. The real synchronicities, because I hear a lot of people talk about synchronicities, but they're they're too clean. Mm -hmm. I think real synchronicities, they're always throw you for a loop. You know, it's like it's never. It's a little bit like reading cards. I mean, tarot reading is that's what you're doing. So when you real you go through that liturgy and you do the spread, there's the question, the moment, and 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 then you something pops up there. That's why divination is wonderful for this. Yes. And so it begins to pop up all over the place. And it can be very, very, very bizarre sometimes. Very bizarre. And then it comes through the, the, the dream world. Like I once met, I, I don't want to go into too much detail, but there was a relationship I had with someone, uh, with a woman that probably was not the best one in the world. And the first day, a brick fell off a building. First day of walking with this woman, and just 
hit my shoulder like here. This isn't waking life. Oh yeah, this isn't waking life. <laughs> then a silver bracelet I had bought for her just broke in half. And I didn't buy it in like some like cheapo store. It was like a normal oh, silver bracelet. Just went black. And then I had a dream about driving off a cliff, this woman in the car. So, you know, when, when, when you need to know something, you'll, you'll get the tap on the shoulder if, if you're kind of tuned in. You know? That's almost more than a tap. <laughs> that is excellent, Robert. That really is. <laughs> like, it couldn't have been more clear to get your attention. That puts you in like, a good moment. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's just like, holy shit. <laughs> do, do you know uh your blood type are you rh negative no i think i'm the most normal one that'd be o positive i think o positive yeah. no that's mm -hmm. not normal well, I, I don't, thought, I, don't I, heard, I thought i heard that o positive was the was the most common o neg is like, o neg is universal o pos or one of them is universal they might be both be but um those are the two least common types. I hear O negative is not common. I hear O is the most common. I was just listening to someone talk about this. O positive, I thought, was we're in the era of the O, though. Right. We someone told me I have the be easiest one. So the one that's the best, the best one, it's the easiest one. And that's why they always want my blood. A that's po O positive. A positive oh. was the one I was thinking. A positive is 34%. Oh. Yeah. O negative is pretty rare. Uh, um yeah that's you're the universal donor but o positive you can take anyone's blood oh that must be me then because they're always asking for my for blood you might be o negative because you can get anyone can have your blood mm -hmm. oh maybe it is that one I, you know I can't that's remember. what i am universal donor they used to always call me Come. yeah i bet you're o negative that makes me think you're o negative because they can give it to anyone okay and so um, oh man. Oh, okay. So you mentioned earlier that you have lots of reoccurring. You were about it. Yeah, I know. And you both froze on my end. So you've mentioned earlier, Robert, that you have lots of reoccurring dreams. Yeah. Do you still have them? Yeah, it's interesting. The one with the planes I've had all my life, but not oh, still. Oh, yeah. And another one I have that is just absolutely bizarre is I'll be sitting at an airport watching planes land because I, I, I used to be a salesman, a lazy salesman. So I would just go to the airport and watch planes land. And um, I remember in these dreams, I just watch these planes land and then two or three will crash. And I'm like, whoa, and I'm always watching planes crash. Just bizarre. That's interesting. What about... Um... And, and other ones, so when you have recurring dreams, what do you make of them? What's your thoughts when they're, when they're, especially say, step away from the plain ones that you've had your whole life. Say like a new series comes in. Oh, like a, a new one, a new yeah. set. I, I always try and, you know, I, I for a long time, because I've been very interested in, in Young's work. So I've, I've kind of, I've read a lot of Young and, I've gotten to the point where I almost stopped interpreting them. I just look for aesthetic, like the other, for example, one I had the other night that was so strange. I was walking and there were three frogs. And I kept following these three frogs, like in a triangle. And I'm kind of obsessed with the detractus. 
I have it in my house and it's in the film. And, and I remember seeing these three frogs moving in this triangle. And then I see these plane, again, the plane, these bizarre planes landing and these three frogs. Like, so I, it's almost more like an aesthetic experience. So I, I almost stopped trying to do the psychology of it. And I just look for forms number connections, that kind of thing. You know, you know what I mean? Like a little bit like in the film. Yes. Where these, these, that's what I kind of, I kind of look for more. The psychological part, I just think I'm too old for it. You know, I mean, it's, yeah, there's not, there's is, no way to fix it at this point. <laughs> so, you know. This is, well, that's what I'm actually looking for. Less the psychological aspect and more the, the tangible stuff that like when you have reoccurring dream or reoccurrence period, um, is there something that it leads to physically, tangibly in your life? It's not necessarily a shift in your psychology. Yeah, because I, I've really kind of gotten away from the psychology part. But for me, it's like, it's like that sensation of it's an aesthetic experience. So when I have a really interesting dream or a good dream, it will stay with me all day. And I have that wonderful, do you ever watch a film, like a really good film and you come out it's like in a daze or yes. hours. That for me. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I love that feeling. And I, you know, at some point, you know, when you get past the analyzing the film and what it means, I don't really care what it means. I just like if, a, if, if, if art works, it just brings you to that place and you can experience it. And so that's for me what the dream world is. It's, it's a place of where I can get that aesthetic kind of uh, transcendent uh, experience. No? The, the experience of epiphany. And yes. you can't explain epiphanies. You can't say, no. oh, well, it means this. <laughs> you, know? you know, it's funny. I, I, um, I, I mirror that. I, this is why I don't tell people like, oh, this piece of art was this or that. I, I refuse to go down that, that path. I think art is, and so much is, so much more is art than people call art. Um, the way you decorate. I mean, everything is just a form of your expression. and. To, I feel like it's almost raunchy to deconstruct everything. It, it just feels like why strip away the magic, the luster? Why take the luster from the pearl? And um, exactly. and so I, I like that deeply moving experience, and I like to not intellectualize it. I'm with you there, and that's a different me from a younger me. Now I'm just oh, like yeah. I want that. Give me the magic. So, uh, okay. So in this kind of idea, where are you standing? I've, this is a two point question here. So, and they may not seem related, but they, they are a little bit. So precognition through dreams. And then also to start it, what's your idea of reincarnation? How do you feel about it? Yeah, I've never resonated with reincarnation ever until... I was living in Buenos Aires, and I remember it was very strange. I, I, had, I, had a, I was in a relationship, everything's going good, and I'm walking through a park, and this woman and I, we say, oh, there's a guy reading palm. And he reads her palm, and he reads her palm, and I was kind of crazy about this girl. And her, her, he tells her, oh, you're still in love with your old boyfriend. Oh, God, Wait. why did I pay this guy 20 <laughs> And then he looks at me and he's like, oh boy. And he went in and he, he really told me that he said, you know, you have a really dark past. 
like a very dark past. So I think I never resonated with, with um, past lives because in my past life, I was probably somebody not very pleasant, like very unpleasant. So I have that, it's like that ominous feeling. And I think it comes through in my dreams. And that's why so many of my dreams are not exactly pleasant. Now, I have a dark shadow, I think. Pretty dark shadow. Most and the older I get, but yeah, but mine's I'm, I'm a little bit murkier than most. I would say. <laughs> you're and the, so you're the that... cube around that sphere. <laughs> exactly. 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 And that's what that dream was talking about. And so as the more, the more I come to terms with that, which is not easy, not to come to terms with, I, 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 do, I do actually have a, I have an intuition that it's, there is probably something there. But I'm not sure I want I to go too deep into that because, like you said, it's that cube. You know? So do I want to know that little, that black sphere? <laughs> you know? That's the Keebler elf inside you. It's all that's good. Does Keebler still have those kind of commercials? Kebleros Pequeños. Um, <clears throat> Kebleros Elfos, right? What? <laughs> what com- the, the, tree, the tree guns? Yeah, sure. I, I don't know. I've spent so long, I don't really expose myself to that stuff. I did always love those, those elves. I know they kill my teeth now when I try them. Yeah, oh my god i'm like oh my god how do i eat these things <laughs> i know <laughs> so, we uh, have a guest wait. coming up in the future Devin maggie and um he just did a piece on we're all really the elves self he breaks that stuff it's just so brilliant but it makes now i'm looking at elves a little bit differently after after this piece he just recently dropped um okay so the precognitive stuff yeah, and, and for me, I've had the most important precognitive dream I ever had was I must have been, it was in that young period, in that explosive period when I was 16. Mm-hmm. I fall, I'm in a well drowning, and I had my clatter ring on. So I, my identity was kind of connected to the Irish side a lot, and I was drowning, and the clatter ring was cut, it was stuck on a rock, and I was drowning, and it, I pulled my hand off, and the ring stayed there, and I climb up. I'm coming out of the water, so I'm drowning. I grab onto a rope. The rope's connected to a crucifix. I'm spinning around, and then finally I have to let go of the rope, and I land on firm ground. So I, that dream, what did it tell me? I had to give up my ethnic identity. It was, it, was, it was drowning me. And having a little bit of problem with alcohol and being Irish, you know, it's kind of... <laughs> and then I had to give up the Christianity and let it go. But it pulled me out, you know? but I had to let go. And I've had many dreams like that. Like I told you, the one in San Francisco that, that told me the future. The last really good one I had was I had a big career change in about 2008. And boom, I had this dream, and it basically said, you're going to go back to teaching. And that's what I did. Oh, so wow. I've had, I have the key in my life, but in important moments, mm-hmm. they just let me know, you know, okay, this is what's coming. Jerry, you like your. Uh, well, yeah, <clears throat> that goes against uh, like the idea of free will. So it's more you're going the wrong way, so you've got some kind of guidance which poking you. How do you know that's not interference? I say that this because yeah, this is a fascinating question. 
you mean you mean that, that that somebody's interfering with it? Well, your your nudges, your dreams, and whatnot. You look at it from another perspective. Someone is interfering with your free will because you're I never on thought... you're on a path, right? Uh -huh. And then whatever you're doing, and then you have a dream which you take as advice to change professions. So your life has been interfered with by something. Oh, I see what you mean. But yeah, but in both cases, in both cases, the decision had already been made. Like when I got that dream, mm -hmm. I was just basically penniless in a field. And I'm not kidding. It was bad. And so I, I had no, I was like, what? I mean, I went from living in New York, in Manhattan, having a really good job and advertising to like nothing. And so there I am. And this dream was like, all right, you know, you're not going to starve to death. Not yet. You know? Mm -hmm. And so it's a little bit like there's a way. It's, yeah, it's not, it's kind of like. It's almost like that final nudge that you needed. Like the what? The final nudge. Just a little bit of extra validation, whatever, and the nudge to get over that fence. Exactly. And actually, when I had that teaching dream, I had just gotten a job, like a couple hours a week. And I was like, what am I going to do? And it's like, well, you're going to do this. <laughs> okay. You know, yeah, it's like, eh. yeah, it's happened to me a couple times. Yeah, so I, that's, that's how I have them. Now, what I'm worried about is that, that initial dream that I wrote the novel. The nuclear war? <laughs> I, I have a, I, no, but I, 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 in that novel, a lot of things have come true from that novel. And, I have a sneaking suspicion that, um, yeah, that there's something strange in the future. <laughs> yeah, it started about six years ago. We're um, all thinking this, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Do, do and, you follow Tracy Twyman at all? Oh, I love her. So love her, her, she published a book, um, God, I, it might have been in 2012, but it was, short, it was around there, called Genuflect, which was okay, like I a conspiracy novel but we've woven with her truths you know or whatever but she said the same thing it's starting to come true yeah, yeah. like in that novel there's the arab spring the arab spring happens in that novel and, and i wrote it in 2003 you're so just a lot of things. With the cia is maybe. this the cactus novel <laughs> cactus land yeah of my novels if you want to read one of my novels i think the best novel is cactus land i mean it's yeah I'm, I'm, i've marked that i'm getting that for sure it's free you can you can download it on Mo, as moby epub whatever it's yeah. yeah and that that novel is yeah there's there's something in that novel that's beyond me because it's it was we it was woven it was taking a lot of dreams and just weaving so there yeah there's a story in there that's me but that's not really the interesting story the interesting story is the other yeah and the links for all those are in the description and the show notes I super love, this says a lot about you, Robert, and, and Jerry and I share this stance, by the way. I love that your novels are free, that you're open source like that. This is, um, the, the, it just says, it says a very, it, it just is, I think, where we need to be more in general, people. Yeah, we gotta, we gotta, you know, we gotta, we gotta walk, if we're gonna talk the talk, you know, we gotta yes. walk the walk. Absolutely. And um I yeah, know. be I sure just... to visit our Patreon. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so um so on the on this, all this, what is your idea of so 
what's your idea of the now that we're experiencing your waking life in this whole, and it doesn't, it's not even when I'm, when I ask this question, I'm not looking for your whole timeline and your persona mm-hmm. over the timeline. I'm looking for this now. What is now? And why is now always so relevant? And even for someone like you who loves dreaming and finds that more of a, um, more of the realness, that's where I mm-hmm. am with that too. So what makes this so, so what makes the present so here? I mean, you know, so acute, so real, so bloody. Because, because in the present is where consciousness is. There is no consciousness in the past and there is no consciousness in the future. It's, it, it's, it, you can only experience, like for example, when you, if you meditate, you know, when, when you get to that point where you think, when you're just counting your breaths and then you start thinking, okay, who's watching me count? And then you get that kind of buzz and that bzzz. That's, that's where consciousness is. You can't find consciousness in your past and you can't really, you can't find it in the future. And so when, when we're the most alive, the most conscious, is at least for me that that's what that's why we're here we're here to become more aware and more conscious that's it we don't need any more dogma than that and so where do you become more conscious you become more conscious now you can't say like oh tomorrow i'm gonna meditate or tomorrow i'm gonna do this and only be conscious now how does that differ from say the state of dreaming yeah, because in dreaming, I think it's a level of hyper-consciousness. Because real consciousness, and I go into this in the film, we th- a lot of people have a problem with metaphor. Metaphor means something, right? So we look at a metaphor, say a crucifix, and we say, well, that means something. It means X. But it doesn't. It just re- it's a reflection of another metaphor. That's a reflection of another metaphor. And it does not stop. There is no end to that metaphor. So in the dream life, the metaphors are obviously metaphors. We know that they're metaphors. And so we can interact with them, I think, in a more conscious way. That's why I think the dream life is actually more real. Because we're, we're in a sense, we know we're dreaming even if we're not lucid. Yeah, that, that was beautifully put. Definitely. Um, okay, so take that. And then what about the idea of um, death? How does that weave into all this? Yeah, I, 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 and, and this is post, the post-DMT thing has had a big, big effect on me for that. Because... I feel like I know it. I feel like I've been there. So what death is, is a release from the body. And that's why I'm very interested in the Gnostic thought. This is a prison. This is not the, you know, that idea, that sort of new age idea. Oh, this is all beautiful. You just don't know, don't understand it. Eh, I'm not completely convinced. <laughs> More of a, I think this is, you know, we're doing time and death is we get, it's our get out of prison card. Yeah. I've always had a sense that we're doing time. 
I mean, and, but in that, it's important that we realize, you know, that there's, you know, we do seize the moment and also embrace the hardship. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And like you said, you know, take hold of the, the hardship and let it make you more because if you've, I mean, I, I don't know your personal stories, but if you've ever been really up against it, the only thing you can do is focus on now. That's it. That's the only way you stay sane. If not, you'll, you'll literally lose your mind. You know? You'll jump off a, a bridge or something. And so, right. yeah, allow the prison to just push you into that consciousness point. And then what happens? This world becomes less and less relevant. I mean, yeah, Absolutely. it's great, you know, you can watch a football game or you know, whatever, but it's not, really, not where the juice is. It's and I I love the word juice. I use it a lot. It's um it, it really what it does. I think and this is where uh, the these parallels just are everywhere. But it just pushes you into a deeper state of lucidity. We become more lucid. You think lucid, you think liquid, and you think flowing. And it, you know, there's so many there's so many dots to connect there. How about so in dreaming? So in dreaming and not in, in waking, although, you know, the, 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 the membranes thin. Um, what about your experience with people that have passed on or other entities that may have been living lives and are human, dead people, ghosts, that kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Oh, you mean in the dream world? In the dream world. Yeah, um, I had a very close, my, my friend who we did the mushrooms with, he died in an accident in, when he was young, his early, mid-20s or so. And he, he used to come to my dreams all of the time. And, it, it, and there was a big separation between us in the dream world. Like we couldn't communicate, that there was something, there was like a barrier there. And I never knew what that was about. But yeah, that it felt like something was there. And I remember when my father died, I used to have tons of dreams of him coming back. He'd come back from the dead. He'd pop out of the tomb. And I was like, oh shit, he's back. You know? I remember that. But I think that was more psychological. Those. But with my friend, there was something about there was something about something some, there was some sort of a barrier there. That I don't know if he was trying to or I was trying to, but I felt like it was more than just it was more than psychology. Did you, and when you encounter, that's significant from my personal experiences with people, but with people that I'm close to. So I would get emotional. Like I'd have an emotional response. And um, even though that it was completely out of my control, as far as like um, cognitively, I, you know, like there's, there's my mom or there's my, you know, there's someone I love there. And um and that, and that for me is how I ended up parsing out that barrier, which was always there, like a pane of glass, you know, or a room up between us, whatever. Um, was it, was it like that? Or was it, you were happy to see, like, what's your feelings when he would, in, when you first started encountering him in the dream? It was, oh, oh you're back, but so, so can we talk or can we hang out or like, well, not really. So it was, it was sort of like a, it was very, it was a strange, a strange sensation of, yeah, it wasn't a physical barrier. It was like a, an emotional disconnect. Very high priestess there, isn't it? With that veil and the finger, with the <laughs> finger over the lips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, oof. 
That's interesting. What about, okay, so, and then just maybe to backtrack a little bit on your papa, did you, okay, so not necessarily backtrack on your papa. Have you had dreams that someone passed before you knew it and then you found out later? I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay, so now onto your papa. When you were encountering him, was it, was it emotional? Of course, we don't know your relationship with him, so we don't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing. Was it emotional? Was it emotionally charged? Was it, why are you here? Um, yeah, it was more like, why did you come back? I thought you were dead. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, yeah, I came back. Oh, and then, then, oh, yeah, I just remember this. Yes, yes. Then, it was very strange. He would come back in dreams, but he had another family. Oh, wow. And I remember, I, I remember he, and it's, this was a recurring dream. It was so funny because he had another family and another wife. I don't know if he had no, other kids. And I remember he'd be like, well, you maybe we should meet or something. I'm like, all right. But, you know, mom's not too thrilled about this other family. Well, you know, whatever. It was, it was, it was actually, got, it got to become almost humorous. <laughs> I love that. I find that very fitting, actually, because he is in another place, you know. Right, so. right. It's <laughs> carrying on. Wow, that's a first. That is that's excellent. Okay, so it, with um in the same vein, what about in the dreaming mm -hmm. beings, other beings that are not that obviously feel like they have a sense of agency or sentience where it's not your own unconscious content. Right. Yeah, where it's not some sort of psychological thing. I think I've gone over the really big one. You know, the, in those couple dreams I told you, like the sphere and that, that Caesar figure who came down. But yeah. yeah, occasionally I do get these figures. I never forget once. Because I, I spent some time in Russia. I lived in Russia. And I remember I had this dream where I was speaking Russian. My Russian's terrible. I can speak very little of it. I was speaking to a cook a Russian cook, and he started giving me all sorts of advice about life. But I mean, yeah, but they, they, that was a, that was a, that wouldn't be a different type of entity. That, what that is extremely significant to me as someone who's studied martial arts um, my whole life, you know, like the masters are always like cooks and maids and stuff. Like they're these great masters and those are the roles they're playing. Um, what was the wisdom? Did you, were, did you take anything away from that? <sighs> You know what? It, it kind of dissolved. I remember the wisdom, but I just remember him giving me lots of advice sitting there where, and he's, he's serving the potatoes, talking to me. Oh God, that's how great. can I understand? How can I understand this Russian? Oh, Robert, that's seriously excellent. It also, I mean, we got presented with that in the matrix too, with the um, Oracle, you know, in the oh, kitchen right. and all that, right? Yeah, right, right. I use that in the film. I use that in the, uh, the card. Yes. The all right. I use that somewhere. Yeah. Yes, you do. Um, Okay, I think for me, I don't know what's going on in the chat because I'm not in there. I don't know if there are questions, but this is this is kind of where I usually find that this at least kind of our focus on dreams wraps up. So we can, um, and we usually ask questions. Sure. See what, see what they have for you. Questions? I don't see any. Come on, people, come up with some questions. All right, here we go. Do you believe that any professional channelers, mediums, etc., are legit? Is is that for me? Yeah. Wow, that's 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 really <laughs> that's a really really tough one. 
Um, I would like to think some of them are, but I'm going to piss people off. Piss away. All right. There's an element of bullshit in all mediums, channelers, all of them. And, and this goes back. I, was, I had a very interesting conversation with a, a important person the other day, or a, a guy who's very intelligent. We were talking about, for example, Yogananda, the autobiography of a yoga. Now, a lot of people read that and say, oh, yes, he saw, you know, a lot of that is bullshit. Now, I know I've just pissed a lot of people off, but it's okay because in the East, there is a tradition where you create the guru and the guru has these experiences and that's how he works as a guru. So when you start to believe that he does these things, he can guru you. So it's, it's okay that it's BS. So... Part of the medium's job is to bullshit a little bit. But I am convinced that there are mediums and there are psychics who are excellent. But the problem is we all have a bullshit meter, especially Westerners for this stuff. If your bullshit meter goes 50, I would say, okay. If it, if it pegged, then, you know, maybe look for a new one. But I was probably too honest there. We, we like fun. honesty. <laughs> we, in fact, we prefer it. I have a question. So in, in the production of 21 Faces of God, your wonderful documentary, um, were there any, what significantly came through? So I don't know your history on the tarot as far as like how long you've been into it and all that i'm wondering how what came through like via dreams or inspiration right the muse that um that and you did talk about this earlier which is your projects in general but were there any kind of um i don't know things that really just were deja vu-ish um oh uh-huh um you know i i, I I'm trying to think of anything specific i'm not but what I had the feeling of making this film is I would work my ass off, go to bed, wake up, look at the rough cut, and think, I made this? And that's when you're doing good work. When you write, or when you make films, or you program, if you're just like banging out code and you come back and you're like, I wrote this code? Holy shit. That's I, when you know. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, or you find, you find really brilliant things that you don't remember doing. Mm. That you did. Oh, God. That you did, yes. yeah. yeah. Happens to me. It's crazy. And, and that's a fabulous feeling. You come back and you're like, holy shit. So I had that a lot in this film. A lot. That's excellent. And, yeah. And I just to the young writers out there, that's when you find your voice. Because writing, for example... Maybe your first 500,000 words are for the garbage. They're worthless. Well, one day, and with me it happened, I, you, you get really pissed off and you write something, and you wake up, you come back, and you go, I wrote that? That's your voice. That's when you know you found your voice. That's you. And your voice is not what you want it to be, what you think it should be, what's politically correct. It's your voice. And when you have that feeling like, whoa, then you found your voice. Follow that. There you go. Found it. it might take 10 years. And it might not be great. It might not be what you want, but it's you. And as an artist, you got to find that. And in this film, 
it's me. This was my aesthetics, my thinking. It's me. It's my voice. Good, bad, or ugly, it's me. So I was, when I finished it, I had that feeling. You know, so many times you write a novel, you write a book, you write an article, it's like, ugh. No, when I finished this, I was like, no, job done. That, yeah, I'm, I'm going to mirror that for you too. That's always when I know, I always feel like it wasn't even me. Like I'm the, the con, like I'm, I'm just a vessel and that's what, and I always call it the muse, but remember that muse was a part of us, is a part yeah. of us. That's your voice. Maybe, maybe not. Well, maybe not there. Of yeah, course, there are maybe, lots yeah. of people say it was like a demon or an, you know, whatever. There's so many theories, but in the end, um, as long as but when you connect, when you, yes. what, what, what disconnects, I mean, go back to Plato's cave. Yes. Mm -hmm. So much of it is what's projected. But when you, when you actually see the sun and you see that light, that's you. Remember, you're part, remember that thing from young, you know, we're in the soup that's being cooked for us. We're part of that. So when it comes through strong, it's not a demon. It's not, it's, oh, it's I... and it's not you even. It's it's the whole self, the the bigger self. Yes, is coming through you, and that's why it's humbling when you read that. When you really find your voice, you don't go, "God damn, I'm a badass." No, you're like it's humbling. Yes, you sit back and you think, and you don't think I did that. You think, "Wow, that's art." Yes, that that's what I'm saying. The ego, the ego thing is such a big trap, and and we oh, need it. Yeah. And ego serves a great purpose. Sure. It's not like I'm anti-ego, but when when we're talking about work on this level where it feels bigger and something magical happened, it is such a turnoff to find people throwing kissing all over it with ego. It's just it's such a. Um, I know. I know. It's let it, it let it go. Let it sit there. Let it float. Let it be. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Detach. Um, I can't remember. I actually had another question for you. I have one from chat. Okay, Jerry, go. Um, someone asked what your top five occult sources or writers were. Oh, that's a good one. Or your top three. Tops yeah. are hard, but <laughs> your, yeah, fa but your favorite three. How's that? Oh, what's that book? Uh, the Daimon, the Daimon, the the Daimonic uh, Landscape. Oh shit, I'm gonna forget his name. Oh. I bet Jerry's on it. I'm looking. The Daimon, oh Daimonic. Um, I love that book. It, I wrote a book called The You Daimonic Pie. Oh, is it landscape or? <laughs> it's a wonderful book. I always forget the guy's name. Ah, I'm sorry. Um. The demonic but imagination. Anyway, it's about the daemon, not the demon. The daemon. Right, the right. daemon. Uh, it's a really famous book, and it's a great book. And I don't why I can't I always forget this guy's name. But anyway, um, maybe somebody will it'll give them something to to search, and they'll find wonderful book about um, what that reality is about, what the UFOs are about, the virgins virgins of fatima he ties it all in together crop circles and he has a really he's he's a brilliant writer and he's funny i'd love that book i would highly recommend that book but they're not all um, demons no <laughs> that's a, that's a running joke <laughs> oh. 
Uh, I'll it, it'll come to me later. Maybe I'll pop. You know what? I'll, if if I I'll find it later and put it in the uh, in the chat. Okay? You should join our Discord and hang out with us. Sometime. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I'll put mm-hmm. I'll put it in there. You can put it in there. Another. I love Dion Fortune. I think she's yes. Great. I love. Oh my her. goodness. She's the, just any, so cool. Which one in particular sticks out for you with her? You know, I of course, of course, the famous one. What is the uh, the mystical Kabbalah? Is a great. Yeah, book. that's a big. One. I like her fiction. I used to the sea really priestess. Good. Yes, ah. those are so good. Yes, and she's 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 a good writer. Her prose is not, is good, and she's so woo woo out there. I love her. She's great. I think they flow so well. They're easy to read, and they really she really gets you into them. That that magical thing, Robert. Suspension of disbelief happens for me with her. Exactly, and you know, the older you get, the harder that is. It, it really is. Um. You know, the late young, that stuff is really hard. So sometimes, oh, um, what's his name? You know, I'm, I, you know what? Let me make, a, let me make, I'll, I'll pop up a few of these because I'm just having name blanks. And I'll put it in the, uh, in the comments at the, on the YouTube, cool. okay? But yeah, like it's hard to be on the spot with that stuff. It, I always, right. I always <laughs> shut her up too. Yeah, but, late young, but late Jung is definitely where it's at, you know, when he was less concerned about the scientific community mm-hmm. and he was more like flipping the bird, essentially. I'm not too much because he did still want to be respectable, but I mean, it's certainly the Red Book. If you if, if someone watches my film and gets into the real kind of number, that kind of stuff, I would highly recommend um Aeon in the Mysterium, but mm. they're tough. They're not easy books. They, they are. They're quite difficult. So in the comments later, I'll leave. There's there's one. There's a, a youngian who has lectures on the Aeon, and that helped me. So I I followed the lectures and I read the chapters. It really helped. And I'll pop. Aeon's one of my favorite. Psychology and alchemy is my favorite of that the the collected works. Yeah, those are those are wonderful. Those are wonderful. <laughs> Have have you been on Laura London's podcast? Speaking of no, uh, you know actually I said you know what I think she only she only likes to have if you have to be you have to be certified I think yeah yeah oh yeah she says that right there in there about right snooty like that she said it on our show she said I I am a snob like this so could still give her a poke. Okay. Oh, but she would be great to have on this show, I think. Been, We've had been her. There, done that. Oh, you've had her. Oh. Yeah. Last yeah. year sometime. Yeah. yeah. The young ones have fun. kinky dreams. <laughs> That's what Jerry was hoping. <laughs> <laughs> Any more questions, Jerry? I've got one more here. Uh, do you think Jordan Peterson is a worthy young scholar? Um, my thoughts on Peterson, if you're into Jung, well, you know, one thing pissed me off about him a lot. He called Joseph Campbell, um, woo woo or something. And I remember thinking, I I hate to use a sports analogy, but I mean, if, if Jordan Peterson's like a double a pitcher with like a five ERA, he's like 28, you know, Joseph Campbell is like an all-star. I mean, Jordan Peterson doesn't have a I mean, he can't hold a candle to the culture that Campbell has at all. I mean, Campbell could know Sanskrit, French, Greek, Latin. Yeah. There's no comparison. 
So yeah. yeah, he he's like sort of like the he's a he's he'll he's a good way to get initiated, I think, into and his Jungian thought. I mean, when when Peterson talks about Jung, I find it real elementary. Now I've I've studied Jung for a long time, so I mean it's something I'm familiar with, but I, sure. I was not impressed with his 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 descriptions on myth. But what I do like about Peterson a lot is when he talks about the big five um, psychological, uh, uh, what do they call that? That big five theory. That part I find interesting. So yeah, there's parts of, parts of Peterson I think are good. And what I like about Peterson is he's turning on a lot of people to one myth and to two to young. So he's a good stepping off point for a lot of young folks who maybe, you know, have never picked up a book on young. So I, I think he's doing good work, but there's much better out there. He's, I find him disappointing. I, I, I find, I mean, I kind of got a little, I didn't even know who he was and, and then like, was like, okay, he knows what he's talking about. I listened because I've been heavily into Jung in my life and went through analysis and all that. And, um, I thought, okay, he's, this guy's on it, on it, on it. And then he started interjecting all this crazy stuff and the Joseph Campbell stuff and other Jungians, other core Jungians. And I'm like, oh my goodness, talk about shadow. <laughs> I would say I mean, that more yeah. people have been introduced to Peterson through his political injection than what he's yeah. lecturing about. So I think people think he's, I don't know what he is really, centrist, but right-leaning type of dude. Or I don't think he, he's not all liberal, like crazy like that. Yeah, the only thing I find, I, I don't know what you guys think, but I find something a little bit too angry about him. Like, I'm like, Definitely. man, you got to relax a little bit. And just like, you're, you're a psychologist. He's like fighting with everybody. It's like the smart kid in the room that no one ever listened to. Yeah. That yeah, kind of I'm outburst. Like, you know, listen to me. Yeah, because, you know, like have a conversation. Because when he's, when he's calm and he's having a conversation, he, even when he's in safe territory, he's just a little angry. I think that guy's going to snap and do something crazy. I just, I'm just afraid. Shoot up a school or something. Oh, I just look, I, I just watch him and I just think he that at one point psychologically he's wound up a little bit too tight. I agree, Robert. It, I got them. I don't know anything about his life. So this is all conjecture. And um, I just got the feeling like he's never had real hardship. And um, because that's what I sense in people that actually haven't had extreme hardship where you're just down and out and gutted and every, you know, like you know, whatever it is. And um, he seems like he's the academic union, right? Went through it, but he, everything's been pretty good in his life. His, uh -huh. his natal chart's full of trines. And, um, I, and so that's for me, like there's a depth that is not there. And in, in a lot of terms, in a lot of, not terms, a lot of ways, he's almost like an NPC to me. You know what? I told, I to, yeah, he's an NPC, but for the other side. You know, like he's like the 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 flip side of the meme. Totally. Because <laughs> go back and look at Campbell at the end of his life, going giving all these lectures. You see, he's so relaxed, and he was saying some he was saying some harsh. I saw him get saying some harsh stuff to certain groups, but he says it in a way that you see it, it flows nicely. He doesn't get anybody angry. Right. You know? He understands language. I bet he's on SSRIs or something. I just, he seems there's something, there's some darkness there that we see yeah. seep out for sure. 
I get that feeling. And on me. that note, he probably not coming on the show <laughs> after that little no. bit. I invited him months ago. It was, I mean, seriously, I only just discovered him. I've stepped away from my union roots in the last many, many years. Um, and so I try to not come from that psychological stance. Yeah as much anymore i find it first of all it puts people off and i'm not trying to do that any more than my art does and um i feel like it also cripples us in a way if we're looking at the world from just that angle even though jung does represent the soul within psychology and so like the red book right i will stand on it and sing its praises Oh, absolutely. And I totally get what you mean, because psychology is great for your 20s and 30s. Yes. Maybe your early 40s. But when you hit 50, it's remember what McKenna said, you Out know, the window. culture, culture kind of it loses its its intrigue. It loses it's not as interesting anymore. And you got to move beyond to that part where you got to enter the forest and just see what see what the hell's in there. You know? Absolutely. We need McKenna. I love McKenna so, so much. So- Oswald Spengler just brought up a really interesting question. Do you think that Peterson has taken over Timothy Leary's position at Harvard? Oh, God, I hope not. Because, <laughs> you know, as, I know people, I know, I mean, all, all right. When all these people say, you know, Timothy Leary, he was, M, he was MK, he was working for the CIA. No fucking what? You know what I mean? I mean, if, if, if someone would offer Timothy Leary money, I'm sure he would take it. But Timothy Leary did. I think wonderful things for our culture. I really, oh, I, I wasn't saying it was bad or good. I, you know, he could have a dual role. It could be Leary could have been unaware of his involvement with the CIA. Oh, I think Leary probably knew he, he was, yeah. I mean, he's a shady yeah. Irish guy who will take money from this side and do that. But his, his essence, I think Leary's essence was profounded like McKenna. Mm-hmm. Right, Leary had soul. Leary had soul, and McKenna had soul. I don't care yeah. if McKenna taking money from the CIA. Right, you know yeah, these right. people who say, "Oh, he's he was an evil guy." Bullshit. He did more to wake people up, McKenna did, than you know than Jordan Peterson will ever dream of. And is still doing it post mortem. Like, oh I mean, my god, yeah, coming into a stride, a new stride. Totally, totally. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm. You know, I like McKenna and I and Timothy Lear's life. I mean, the guy had an interesting life. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm kind of pro those guys. He's like interchangeable with uh, Andy Warhol in my mind. Oh I, yes, I'm right past that. You know, I'm I was born in '65, so it's later. I miss all that stuff. Right, right. I God, I and you know the older I get, when the more and having worked in advertising, mm-hmm. when I go back and look at Warhol, I'm just like, Jesus. People like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. Well, he harnessed the power of art. Yeah. And he uh, knew how to do it well, and it it worked clearly. Oh yeah, and what he teaches you, uh, uh, you know, it, it, what what Warhol teaches is is very. There's something behind him. I know a lot of people think it's all BS, but Warhol, there's something else going on there. There's something. I, I, I Jeff Koons, these guys, there's, they're saying something that's just He's, very, yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I forgot I was going to say, damn it. 
Well, we're over our two-hour mark anyway. Are we? Yeah. Well, this has been uh, one of those times where I just looked up and it's fast. It's actually, it's one hour and 59 seconds and 59, 59 minutes. Now it's two hours. Okay. Oh, okay, cool. Excellent. <laughs> this was a fun show, Robert. Thank yes, you. Yes, thank you very much. It was this great was, having you on. It just and went. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I had, a, I had a great time. It was a lot of fun. I was really looking forward to it, and I had a great time. So thanks so much for having me on. Uh, you're quite welcome. Uh, is there anything you want to plug? The floor is yours. Sure. You know, the film is um, it's, uh, the 21 Faces of God. There's a long-form version, and then there's a serialized version. And you can just go to YouTube and put in the 21 Faces of God, and it'll pop up. And so you can see both. Um, and I've got and subtitles in Chinese, Russian, and Spanish. So oh, that's excellent. <laughs> got friends who don't speak English or whatever. You can shoot it to them. And they where can people get your free books? Ah, on Smashwords. And I think from this conversation, if if you were interested in this, the Cactus Land, Cactus Land, it, you can download it as um, an EPUB, in Mobi, or a PDF. And I think that would be interesting for folks interested in the dream world because that's a, a novel completely based on dream. And I, I think one, one dream that I think hopefully won't come true. Oh, see, the mystery there too. It's in another I've timeline. Heard. We're in the safe timeline. We're going to ascend to 5D Earth. You know it. Come on. Let's hope so. We're going to get Nasara and Sharia Law and there's going to be a re reset. Oh, dear. <laughs> Well, yeah, I want to thank you to our core chat out there. I'm not in there, but I can, you know, all my love to you, people. It was you all know who you are. Um, and Robert, thank you for the time. It's really cool that we're doing this earlier because I still have daylight now. <laughs> so that's those are my thanks. Thanks so much. Thank I really appreciate it, guys. And I'd like to thank everyone who listened tonight and who will listen in the future. And my future self who's going to listen. So <laughs> be sure to give us a like and subscribe if you haven't. And we'll see you next week. We have a surprise guest. So you guys have a great night.